welcome back to yet another episode of Today in Education. So this episode, we're going to be interviewing Miss Brenda Rivera, and she's actually a teacher with a lot of experience in teaching ethnic studies, and she will be sharing with us what she knows about teaching ethnic studies, the emotions that get built up in the classroom when you're teaching ethnic studies, and how to handle those emotions. So I hope you enjoy today's episode, and thanks for tuning in. Um, we can start off by introducing each other. I can go first. Um, so hello, everyone. My name is Daisy. I use she, a pronouns. I'm a fourth year um, studying comparative literature, comparative ethnic studies, and minoring and education. And I am a first-gen Latina. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, yeah, and my name is Ella Bott. Um, I'm a second year social welfare major, also minoring in education and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And my name is Brenda Rivera. I am um, a teacher at Oakland Tech High School. This is actually my sixth year teaching. I taught four years of ninth grade ethnic studies. It was called California Studies at first, but we sort of made it ethnic studies and is a blocked English and history course. And then last year, my fifth year, I switched to teaching English for so senior English and community organizing for the race policy and law academy at my school, Oakland Tech, and um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, so the first question is, what was your first encounter um, with an ethnic studies course? And um, how has it encouraged you to implement ethnic studies into your teaching? Uh, so my first encounter was actually, I guess it would have to have been college when I actually took an ethnic studies course, I was also a literature major and um, I minored in education as well. Um, and I think the specific class was probably an African-American studies, um, African-American studies, it was early African-American studies English class. And um, we read slave narratives. And um, I think that was like mostly the focus of, of the class early African-American literature. And then I took a few more. There was some Latinx literature classes that I took as well. Uh, and then some that were intersecting with my minor for education for um, where I went to college. And then as a teacher, my first encounter with ethnic studies was when I started teaching ninth grade and I was invited because Oakland Unified School District started, they had an initiative where every ninth grader had to teach or had to go through an ethnic studies course or every high school would have an ethnic studies course available to high school students. And when they introduced that, there was a shift at my school to turn the ninth grade California studies curriculum, which every ninth grader had to take. So in traditional A through G curriculum for, for students, history isn't typically part of the ninth grade course. Like, so what they did is they, um, it used to be this tracked class where if you were a ninth grader and you took English and ethnic studies or English and California studies at the time, it would put you on a track to be in the honors and AP courses. And so the push was to move away from that because it was creating really heavy tracking at our school, especially at a time when gentrification was shifting the racial demographics. And so we saw mostly white students taking that course and also then being tracked into AP and honors courses in the 10th, 11th and 12th grades. That 
we ended up making it so that, and this was before I got there, um, a few years before I got there, they ended up doing it so that every ninth grader would take California studies, which is technically an elective because like I said, there is no A3, A through G requirement for ninth graders to take a history course coupled with the English class. And at the time it was seen as a push for equity because students being in a blocked humanities course where they would learn basic study skills and also um, where they were not being tracked based on their skills uh, from literally when they got to high school, right? There were, there were kids who were either in the class or not in the class. So it was an effort to move away from that and offer a rigorous and also equitable curriculum to every ninth grader at our school, um, which of course had an impact on um, who was taking the course because the classes were so racially segregated at that point. Um, and so by the time I had gotten there, the, the teachers had already worked on, because what happens is if your classes aren't tracked, then you have students with every different skill level in the same course. And in some ways, those classes are the most difficult classes to teach because you're trying to provide an entry to the curriculum for students who are reading at, let's say, a third or fourth grade level by the time they, ninth, they get to ninth grade, and actually students who are reading at college level by the time they get to ninth grade. So you have to create a curriculum that is engaging, that's relevant, that's meaningful, and that is centered around identity and who you are, especially when you're 14 years old, um, and that works for everyone. So they had already laid that foundation, and by the time that I got there, the ethnic studies requirement had been part of the o Oakland Unified School District. So there was a push for those ninth grade teachers to go to ethnic studies trainings. And those trainings were my introduction to teaching ethnic studies and really developing a world view, not just a curriculum approach or a pedagogical approach to world studies, but I mean, to ethnic studies, but it's literally a worldview. How do you see the world, this very zoomed out perspective? Um, whereas I think there's, you know, an assumption that if you're doing ethnic studies, you're zooming in and you're not getting the complete picture. I actually think it's the opposite. Um, and so those trainings and all of the foundation that teachers before me in the ninth grade had pushed for in terms of equity and a relevant and meaningful curriculum were my first introduction as a teacher to ethnic studies and how that informed my pedagogy. That's really cool. It seems like you had a lot of support from teachers who'd been working on this before you. But um, did you face any backlash from parents or students because of the implication of ethnic study? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at our school, <laughs> at our school, traditionally, there had been this program where students were tracked and certain parents already knew like their this the history of our school is is, is a little bit um, controversial because of it. Um, parents knew that they could send their students to a public school in education and they would be getting a rigorous curriculum um, that's comparable to a private school. And so the parents were in some ways reaping the benefits of that. And so then to put everybody in a class where uh, specifically when they're, because equity is such a, was such a focus of the curriculum when we started this ninth grade ethnic studies focus and shift, I can give you one example. We had class discussions where students 
it, they're completely student-led discussions. Students are responsible for facilitating the discussions and I didn't do anything but sit back and watch them. And they were to learn discussion moves. And also one other big point was um, step up, step back so that everyone's voice can be heard. And I graded that. I graded their participation and I graded their ability to share space and to invite others to speak, not just be the person who's always speaking. And so there were parents that were like, well, my student is doing really well. Why would you give them a grade based on what the other students are doing? But what they didn't really understand was ethnic studies is about academic community and it's about everybody's voice being heard. And that's why I was giving the group grade of discussion. It was more like a report card on how we're doing as a group, as a class to make sure that everybody's being brought in and everybody's voice is being heard. But that was very problematic for some parents because they'd relied on school traditionally rewarding their student as an individual, which is very American, you know? Um, and yeah, often those parents looked a certain way and were part of particular groups, racial and ethnic groups, um, and felt like that was a problem that I was, that I was grading in that way. So that's one specific example. I can give you other examples. Um, and yeah, I could go on forever about that, but there was backlash. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you for answering that question. I'm actually surprised to hear that just because, you know, within Oakland, um, it is where the Black Panther Party um, did originate from. You know, there's been a lot of social movements that did start um, in those areas. So to hear that, it's kind of, um, I guess, like a wake up call or a reminder, you know, that there's still a lot of work that has to be done within even the most progressive communities. I'd love to add to that over yeah. time, it became, it was pretty solid. Over time, people were like, oh, my students really enjoy being in a diverse classroom where everybody's perspective is heard. Oh, my students are actually really getting a lot out of these courses and around learning about the history of Oakland and its political, um, the political advocacy and community organizing that has gone in here. So over time, I feel like it has changed and it is now an expectation and a and a uh, that the students will all benefit from it. Um, and I don't teach ethnic studies anymore, so I'm not sure exactly. Well, I teach I teach an ethnic studies approach, but my class is technically not called ethnic studies. Like, um, but I mean, I teach community organizing, so I, I don't hear from parents anymore around it. Like that, it changed over time, which I'm I'm really happy about. But the first the initial shift and change was. Surprising. Yeah, it was surprising. Yeah, thanks for adding that. Um, yeah, that's really important um, and helpful to know. Um, and you kind of already mentioned this, but how are you incorporating ethnic studies into your current curriculum? Um, yeah, so for example, is it being taught as a supplement to your curriculum or is it separate from it? And then can you name any nuances from that? Yeah, so, you know, when I first heard ethnic studies, I always thought ethnic studies was just what you taught. It was just content related. But the more that I became, the more that I learned about teaching um, and what it meant to, to be a teacher, I feel like ethnic studies has now become more around the way that I teach and the way that I approach teaching. So it's also affected my grading practices. It's affected the types of assignments that I give students. So, um, Yes, we definitely, especially teaching in race policy and law and teaching community organizing, we're definitely learning about 
the principles of community organizing and what it means to serve your community and also sustain that work over time because serving the community can be um, it's all about sustainability and and about reflection and action and like that cycle. So we do learn like the content is related to ethnic studies, but it also affects the way that I grade them, you know, so like uh, what I think are like fair, equitable grading practices. I, I don't give zeros. I give 50% because I think once you start giving zero, 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 zeros, it's like very difficult for students to catch up. Um, I, the types of assignments I give, there's a mixture of group grades and individual grades. I, uh, like I said, I, I grade discussions. The class is very discussion-based so that students can, are not only just writing, they're also um, being able to demonstrate their knowledge through verbal participation. And I, I'm folding it into like a personal narrative unit. So I'm like, your story matters as well. And I'm going to like make that a part of the curriculum, especially because they're seniors and you know they have their personal statements. So especially now that I don't teach a history class, it's less about the content that I'm teaching and less about the history of these groups and more about how I teach and how I treat my students and you know what it really means to teach um, humanities is looking at the human experience and the, the human experience is diverse and intersectional and um, I just try to have assignments that are based on that and try to treat my students like that you know. Yeah I think that's an important like distinction to make that it's not always just about like what content can you teach students regarding ethnic studies it's more like a whole philosophy around the methods. Um, so relating to that, um, how have you seen ethnic studies affect or like your methods of teaching affect students? Like, do you see benefits in um, like adapting this kind of classroom environment? I would say I do. And I, I don't think that it's response. Like, I don't think as one solo educator and all of this that I'm like completely changing outcomes left and right. Like that's as a teacher, I don't think that that's necessarily the role that I came to play. Like I'm, I'm here to create moments of connection, learning and joy for my students. And that doesn't always mean that all of the DNF students at the end of the year all have A's because of me, right? It's just, that's not how education works. Um, it, it really requires like a systemic transformation, but I would say the benefits that I've seen for my students is in the interactions that I have with them and the feedback that I get from them, it sounds like for me, with the literature that we read and the types of projects that they have, that most students are able to enter the curriculum and most students are able to feel a sense of confidence and competence around it. And we, at least in our academy, we survey our students. And so they talk about the academy being the best academy at our school and just, they really benefit from the types of um, structures that we have available for them, including like opportunities to engage in the community because we're, we're such a project-based and work-based um, learning academy. So in the 10th and 11th grade, they have access to informational interviews where they can interview people who have careers related to race policy and law. In the 12th grade, they do a capstone 
where they have to present their ideas to the community uh, regarding a um, the specific research question is what are what is an effective solution to an issue in your community that you're excited about and why are you excited about it why should we continue to invest in the solution so i think the the immediacy of it the relevancy in their lives really is the benefit because they are more engaged overall um and I can see that I can say that anecdotally, I can back that up with some survey data that students provide. And then also I would say it does have an impact on grades. Like I don't have a lot of failing students at the end of the of the at the end of the year. Um, because most students are showing up and engaging in some way. And it's just about providing some curriculum that will allow them to enter and to to feel competent and to feel confident as a student and develop their academic identities. Do you see that like when teaching ethnic studies um, or addressing topics surrounding um, race and inequality and things like that, that the teacher's identity has an impact on the students? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, some of my students this past quarter as they were doing their caption their capstone project for the district which is that research project I talked about one of the students focused on why we need more teachers of color specifically black teachers in the classroom and not only does ethnic studies improve attendance which actually is another benefit that I see a lot of students attend my class um, and our attendance rates overall for our academy are better than the schools um, but also having teachers of color uh, teach like having a teacher who looks like you is an added benefit and we know there's like science and data that proves that and so i don't think that we just need ethnic studies teachers to be non-white i think we need um all teachers teaching every subject to be non-white we need more we need more teachers of color and i also think that more teachers need to adopt an ethnic studies approach. And usually I've seen and have read that teachers of color are more likely to engage in uh, culturally relevant teaching. They're more likely to adopt that, that frame because of their own personal identity, but also because they can connect and relate to students, you know? There's just something about having about seeing yourself represented as a student that a lot of students of color don't actually always get, get to benefit from. Um, and we've even talked about in my ethnic studies class when I when I taught ninth grade ethnic studies, we did a whole unit on the history of school and how what schools, the ways that schools um, approach teaching students of color and the way that they've been historically marginalized and shut out of schools and pushed out of schools. And it began with an investigation of who have your teachers been in your life? Like, let's do a tally. And we did some math and we calculated percentages of what percent of our, of our personally of our teachers have been teachers of color, what percent have been white and um, how does that measure compare to national statistics? And what role does implicit bias play in the classroom, discipline, 
we tied all of that in, right? Because we know that teachers of color are less likely to discipline students who look like them um, because they tend to have more empathy and understanding for student behavior or misbehavior quotes. I'm using quotes for that. Disengagement, you know, um, there's more of an understanding there. So I would say that absolutely a teacher's identity is plays a big role in whether they teach ethnic studies or not. And even if they don't call it ethnic studies, like how they treat their students and on the day-to-day -day and the types of material and assignments that they provide. Um, my question is, do you feel like um, there's also a difference in how, not difference, but an impact when let's say we do have a BIPOC uh, male profess professor teacher teaching um, but then they don't have that like lens for like other intersectional identities. I'm not sure if my question makes sense. Yeah, are you asking if I see that or if I? Like, do you see, do you think that there is an impact? Yeah, I think so. And I think it, one of the things that, and I don't know how much this applies to the like higher education, cause I think higher education um, it's not always like, I don't know how much reflective practice goes into, um, goes into your job when you're, when you're a professor, I can't speak to that, but one of the things that you're constantly doing as a K through 12 educator, or at least that I was taught to do, I, I went through Berkeley's Muse program there. It was Muse at the time. Now it's called BE3. Um, but that's where I got my my teaching credential. But one of the biggest things they stressed was reflective practice and to constantly be looking at your blind spots and the thing, the ways that you can continue to learn from your students and what you can and whose perspectives you're ignoring or not seeing. So I would say that's another great thing about ethnic studies too, because ethnic studies directly teaches reflection on the pedagogical approach like there's obviously like I said the content stuff like what are you teaching but it's also reflection is a big part of ethnic studies pedagogy um and, and healing as well right because if you're not including certain perspectives in in the classroom and you're not you're you're not seeing or you're ignoring certain identities that there's not really a possibility for healing there for those for those people um, and for connection. Kind of relating to that as well as um, you kind of mentioned discipline earlier. Um, do you or has restorative justice been incorporated into your teaching methods or philosophy throughout your teaching career? Yeah, restorative justice is such a um, it's such a great concept and philosophy and it's something my students advocate for all the time consistently it's something everyone knows is great for for schools thankfully i haven't had huge problems with discipline in my classrooms like it's not something that has consistently come up but um i would say more when i taught in ninth grade we used a progressive discipline approach which did result in, it was like an escalation of consequences. So it's, it began with like, okay, let's have a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, 
okay, then like a call home and it escalated to a referral to the assistant principal. And there were times when I used that, but the problem was that it didn't have that restorative justice approach where there would be a conversation at the end, like there was no feedback loop. So once the student is sent out of class, a lot of the times I didn't always have the opportunity to talk to them or there, there wasn't that idea of like, let's repair the relationship now. I would have to do that work on my own and it wasn't guided. Um, but our school does have a restorative justice um, program. So there were also times where like, if there were problems consistently with the student, I would sit down with our RJ coordinator and that student and we would have a conversation. Um, I would say the benefits of restorative justice are great. And overall, we know that it leads to fewer suspensions and expulsions and fewer incidents where kids are like pushed out of the classroom especially in schools that are majority like low income students of color. But at the same time, I think it's this elusive practice where like, if we don't have people who are trained in it and we don't have the resources for it, it's not always gonna work out, you know? And this is coming from a teacher where like discipline has not necessarily been an issue in, in the way that I know other teachers' classrooms are and other, um, other contexts are. So this is just my context where yeah, I taught ninth graders for a long time and ninth graders are just, you know, still coming back. They're like still in this phase where it's like, ah, I just want like experiences and I'm going to like touch you and I'm not going to be able to keep my hands to myself. Like developmentally, they might be in this place where there is more of a possibility for um, teachers to want to use discipline, right? Um, or a discipline structure. But I would say even in the context that I was teaching in, it wasn't that big of a problem, but there was like always this missing, whenever I did use a, progress, a progressive discipline approach that wasn't really restorative justice focused, there was always this sort of like lack of resolution and there wasn't a feedback loop where I would be able to talk to that student again. Um, and I would have to do that relationship building um, again, like one-on-one -on -one with that student. And I wasn't really guided through that process. So I love restorative justice as a model. I love that our schools in Oakland Unified School District are not investing in police anymore. We, they eliminated um, the police department thanks to the work of the Black Organizing Project. And um, I love that we're gonna have more money for restorative justice and we're gonna have more people because I, as a teacher, I'm not a healer. Like that's not my work. I'm not a counselor. I'm more of a caregiver. Like that's my role in the ecosystem, right? Um, and, and more of like a, a guide or even a storyteller, but I'm not necessarily a healer. And I think we need more healers on campus to be able to actually implement restorative justice in a transformative way. And I'm thankful to the folks who have been doing it every year at my school knowing that it was like on the chopping block like I can't tell you how many years in a row we had our restorative justice circle our restorative justice coordinators fighting for their jobs and fighting to stay there because we know it's important but also um you can't always see the benefits of something and be able to defend your position when it's not being fully invested in you know and and that must always be a, sl a slap in the face like here you are this RJ coordinator who's chosen to invest in your community in this like really big way but the community is not investing in you so I'm really excited for the possibility of having more money more healers on campus 
and that work actually being transformative and seeing some good results from that. That's really awesome. I'm glad that they're getting more money because it's a really important process, I think. Um, do you think that um, restorative justice process uh, practices uh, should go hand in hand with ethnic studies? Like if teachers, um, maybe I'm thinking specifically like with teachers who don't necessarily, uh, their identity, identity doesn't necessarily relate to their students' identity. And in the case of white teachers, maybe um, explaining topics surrounding race and inequality where their identity has been tied to oppression and inequalities within the systems. Yeah, I think there definitely should be a, they should go hand in hand. And I think our district's ethnic studies coordinators, the people who are leading this curriculum work are also keeping bias at the center um, of, of their teaching and having teachers, uh, white teachers especially confront their bias. Um, or I would just say like non-black teachers, actually not just white teachers, but non-black teachers confront their biases. Cause we know the student mo mostly, and we know that Discipline rates are very disproportionate among black boys, black students of color, or black students in our district. So I would say our coordinators do keep that at the forefront. And then at the end of the day, if you're teaching a curriculum that's trying to honor your students, um, you have to confront the way that you use discipline in your classroom. Like it, it's all part of it. You want your classroom to be a healing space and a restorative space. So I think discipline is a big part of that. Yeah, I can add on to um, this question. I know like for us, um, well, using I statements, right? Um, I've taken um, ethnic studies courses and I've seen um, there have been incidents where there's um, two incidents, one where there was uh, the class we were just talking about, um, what is it? Like this book where, um, you know, it was talking about like, um, Chicanos, what they were doing in the 60s, in the 1960s, like um, all the posters that they were doing um, for Chicano uh, power liberation. Um, and then the professor, he was not identifying. And then, um, um, yeah, he was just going over the book, um, everything that was going on. And then, but the thing is that the book um, overly sexualized um, Chicana women, right? And so the class was, for the most part, um, female identifying. And then when we got to that part, he was like, oh, that's, oh, that's the word. He was like, oh, that's, um, that's just satire. That's just an exaggeration, right? Because um, the author wants to bring attention to that. And then all the female identifying um, students were like, but no, like, you can't just dismiss it as like satire. Like, this is affecting us even right now. Like, you know, like even within um, movements, like the Chicano movement, um, there's still oppression even within their own people. So I think that's also where um, that question was coming out from. Yeah, and intersectionality is actually a huge uh, part of ethnic studies and, and having that worldview is that you're constantly examining things through all kinds of different lenses, like at least using three lenses to like look at certain situations. I'm curious about the book. Was it The Revolt of the Cockroach People? Yes, yeah, it was. I knew it. We had that same problem when I read it at, in college. <laughs> Also, the class was taught by a male professor. Um, yeah, he was also, he's a Latinx professor, but yeah, there was uh, 
yeah, we had to acknowledge that. And we also had to confront that. I think he actually did confront it, thankfully, but yeah, I, I pretty much knew it was that book. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where that question came out from. Um, and then do you have any advice for um, teachers who would want to implement ethnic studies into their curriculum, but are maybe forced um, to do it informally? Yeah, I mean, I just one first of all, like for all the baby teachers out there who are um, just starting this work, or maybe you're a teacher who's been teaching a long time, and you're just, you know, trying to implement this. I think it's so difficult. And I, I want to have compassion and empathy for them. Because I thankfully, and I always say that I landed on my feet teaching ninth grade ethnic studies, because there was a group, there was a supportive, collaborative environment for me to learn safely. Um, and yeah, like some of the things I didn't have to learn because they like it was based on personal experiences as um, a Latinx woman and growing up in the United States and all the personal experiences that I had. So I didn't, not everything was like, oh, I had to learn to do it, but it was like, I definitely had to learn to structure a classroom where other students of every kind of background were learning it because I have students from every racial and ethnic background in one, in one class. Um, so that was the learning curve for me. Um, but I would say that I just have a lot of empathy for teachers who don't have that support. And I would make this like, this is a plea. This is an urge. Teachers need co paid collaboration to work on culturally relevant curriculum because everyone always talks about it. Like make your curriculum culturally relevant. Make sure that you're like speaking to your students, um, experiences and like, uplifting student voice, but in practice, that looks like talking to other people, right? That looks like starting a conversation and a professional environment where teachers feel safe enough to open up a conversation about how their curriculum has not been serving their students. First of all, like you have to even start with that question. How is my curriculum serving, serving students? How has it not been serving students? And that requires a lot of vulnerability and it requires a lot of safety. At the end of the day, teachers are learners and we don't always have the opportunities to learn. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ethnic studies movement um, began with students and teachers saying, a lot of students in particular, but teachers joining in saying, um, we, need, we need something different. And this traditional way of schooling, leaving out these perspectives is not working for us, right? And so I think it begins with the people. It starts with the community themselves and finding other people in the community who are like-minded, finding those pockets of people, um, sending out emails to your colleagues around like, hey, I want to collaborate on this project. Like, would you have um, any interest in it? And actually what I've done in the past, ask your admin for paid time to collaborate. Like, let's say me and another teacher want to collaborate on an ethnic studies unit about, I don't know, um, the history of school or identity or uh, an action project. Email your admin and say, we have this really great idea. We would love to have four meetings over the course of this quarter or this semester to plan together. And there's hopefully money set aside for that. Um, but yeah, it's it's the community approach, it's the advocacy, you know, speaking up for for what you need, and that's how 
that's how these movements start started. And so I would say, look to the past, look to the people before you. This is, this is what they did. They asked for what they needed. They demanded it. So go out there and demand it. That's really inspiring, I think, for a, a lot of teachers to hear. Um, so our last question, um, recently Gavin Newsom vetoed like the statewide ethnic studies curriculum. Uh, Oakland Unified seems like it's a pretty progressive like school district. It seems like they're on an independent mission to incorporate ethnic studies despite this, but do you think this will affect your classroom or other classrooms in the Bay Area and beyond? I think it feels like a loss, you know, but I don't think that it'll affect the way that I teach. Um, thankfully at my school, I just get so much freedom, you know, to teach to teach what I, what I want and they cultivate that. I don't have a standardized curriculum that I follow. Actually, I'm the only person at my school who's teaching my subject. There's no one else. So I get to innovate and I get to be creative. So it won't necessarily affect me. And I think for the wider community at my school or in Oakland, it will see, it will feel like a loss overall, like for the larger struggle. But I know our district will continue to have ethnic studies teachers who are doing this work um, and that won't really affect us. But yeah, I'm also excited by the individual school districts who are adopting ethnic studies curriculum, just because, just because, you know, the governor's, uh, you know, has vetoed this and just because like statewide it's been um, shut down again, like it's, it, it could be grassroots focused and it could be an effort of teachers and districts, teachers stu and, and students and admin it within districts in California um, who can advocate for it. And so we're thank thankfully we do live in a more progressive state where I'm seeing districts adopting, adopting ethnic studies more and more, which is exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much for answering that. Um, do you have any last thoughts or anything else you think is important to include? I, I will say like teaching ethnic studies has made me a better teacher and also made me a better person. Um, and I'm extremely grateful to have the opportunity to build relationships with my students through this approach, through this type of pedagogical approach. I think it creates stronger relationships with students and I think it creates stronger teachers and um, especially with the collaborative approach to it. Like I, you can't really do this alone. You definitely need a community of people to um, to work with and to bounce ideas off of and to reflect with. And ethnic studies demands that, you know, ethnic studies requires it. And yeah, I think good teaching is, is pushing for ethnic studies, like a period. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, for coming, um, for letting us do an interview on you and for you sharing your experiences, um, the practices that you use in your classroom and how um, that's worked out for you and your students and the broader community, you know, because I feel like in the end, um, it is going to, it is impacting them and it is going to help them in the long run. 